Compass Media Networks. This is America's First News. This weekend with your host, Gordon Deal. The face of hostage advocacy. I'm Gordon Deal with Nicole Murray. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. Here's what's coming up this hour. How a mother in Israel copes each day without a word of her 23-year-old son, who was kidnapped by Hamas in October. Will hydrogen-powered cars ever get their moment? Hear why a tech expert says they'll never overtake electric vehicles. On the travel front, hear why airlines are placing some dogs on no-fly lists. And more Americans using a divorce as a reason to throw a party. I think there are a lot of good reasons to celebrate the end of a broken marriage at the beginning of a new chapter, right? I think the one warning that I have is that, first of all, make it about your future, not about how bad your ex was. Family law attorney Jennifer Hargrave in Dallas on divorce parties. Well, imagine the anguish and stress. The son of Rachel Goldberg Poland, whose name is Hirsch, was kidnapped during the Hamas terror attack on Israel back in October. The family has had no word of the 23-year-old since. How the Family Copes, from Elizabeth Bernstein, reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Elizabeth, take us through it. You know, I was in Israel last week to sit down with a woman named Rachel Goldberg Poland. Her son, Hirsch Goldberg Poland, I was 23. He's 23 year old. He he went down uh, to that Nova Music Festival in the South uh, the day of October 7th. That's where he was. He is one of the people who was kidnapped and taken to Gaza. And before he was kidnapped, uh, his arm was blown off in a grenade attack at that at that festival. And so uh, he's taken to Gaza. The parents have done a lot of research to find out what happened that day. But since he was taken to Gaza, the attack is around 8 a.m. He His cell phone last pings around 10.25 a.m. in Gaza inside. And they have not had word yet since, not one word, not from the authorities, not from intelligence, not from the Red Cross, not from hostages coming out. How, how have they figured out then what happened? You reference his arm got blown off. How, how are they piecing this it's, together when they've had no word at all? It's very interesting because they, of course, the authorities, you know, the Israeli uh, army, police, uh, intelligence will share what they know. But in, in some of this story, this family is sharing also with the authorities. They're learning first, in fact, uh, what they've done. Uh, they have talked to everybody they can. Uh, there were some eyewitnesses and I can walk you through the attack. It's it's just brutal. But there were some eyewitnesses uh, who survived and have since you know, told the story. Uh, there were some parents. These were all young people at a festival. There were some parents who were managed to get through to their kids that morning as the attack was happening. So they were hearing the attack on the phone live. And so they, this family talked to those people. They oh. were not able to get through to their son. And they also have um, that some of these cars had dash cams. And when they ran up into these, uh, you know, the, they drove them fast towards the shelters, the bomb shelters, and ran out of them into the shelter. The dash cams kept rolling. So they have film of that uh, as the attack kept going. And they also have um, significantly, they do have a GoPro uh, video that was dropped by one of the terrorists. The terrorists filmed this and so uh, dropped one of the GoPros. And so they have that film as well. We're speaking with Elizabeth Bernstein at the Wall Street Journal. She's written a story called Stay Strong, Survive, the mother who became the face of hostage advocacy. And Elizabeth had a sit down with Rachel Goldberg Poland, whose son Hirsch, who's 23 years old, is missing since the attacks on Israel. Um, So they have 20 and 18 year old daughters. How do they get through this daily as a family? 
you know, they do. They have to, uh, this is a family, if they, she's under the most unimaginable pain. They've seen this terrible video that the terrorist took uh, where his arm's blown off and there's bones sticking out. I mean, it, it can't be worse. They haven't heard from him. They know that there's another video that was taken inside Gaza. Uh, the, they, the authorities told them, you know, don't watch it. It's pretty rough. It's not going to help you. So that's where they are. And they've got these other two vibrant daughters, 18 and 20. And uh, they are getting by as best they can. The mom and dad have become advocates, and especially the mom worldwide, it's meeting with leaders, the Pope, Biden, the Israeli authorities, the Knesset there, everybody they can, speaking to everybody they can to tell this story. And I think that gives them some um, purpose that fuels them yeah. to Jeez. keep them standing basically because they're doing what they can to save their child. And uh, so that's how they get out of bed. You know, the daughters are are in some ways more optimistic. This family's just, the parents have decided they're going to be optimistic. The daughters in some way are a little bit more um, uh, naturally optimistic right now because they're young and they don't know a wor world without their brother. Mm -hmm. That's what the parents have said. And, uh, you know, they're vibrant and they do have some help. I think they have neighbors and friends and family who are, you know, helping to sort of um, co-parent these daughters as the parents of Hirsch uh, keep focusing Jeez. on saving him. And they they do what they scribble down on a piece of like masking tape, the number of days he's been missing every day. It's a fresh number and they tape it to their shirt. Every single day, the mom started this on, uh, you know, early on, and she writes on a little piece of masking tape the day. I believe today is 137. Don't quote me. Uh, but that's, uh, that's you know, more than four months since their son, she says, is stolen. That's the word she uses. And so they keep it and they they, they write the number and they, they place it, the masking tape, um, over their heart, on their clothing, over their heart. And so they wear it. And now other people all over the world have started to wear it. And, and the mom, Rachel, has made the point it's these days are marching forward and how often do you ever march number something we don't number up we number down we count yeah, down to yeah. vacation we count down to new year's mm. we count down to happy things and we're we're marching away from the day her son was stolen so that number is very very meaningful to her but also she can remember she can tell you on day 88 that's the day i fell in the street and cried like she could remember every day what happened to her thanks elizabeth elizabeth bernstein reporter at the wall street journal this year, Dell Technologies wants to help you do amazing things with their best tech. For a limited time only, save on select next-gen PCs like the XPS 13 Plus, powered by Intel Core processors and more. Plus, curate your dream setup with great deals on select monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at dell.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge technology to match your forward-thinking spirit and free shipping on everything. Again, that's dell.com deals. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. Final weekend of February. Divorce has become a major life milestone, replete with specialized parties, large support networks, and a whole industry ready to capitalize on the big change, just like weddings. More on divorce parties from family law attorney Jennifer Hargrave in Dallas. Jennifer, how do they do it? Well, I mean, I think different people do it a different way. It could be a simple little celebration where, you know, somebody goes out to dinner with their friends, maybe after the mediation or after the day the decree is signed. Or it can be an all-out party with, you know, yard signs and, you know, bumper stickers and all kinds of things. Um, and sometimes people just decide to do something celebratory, like take a trip or, or, you know, something to mark the beginning of a new chapter. 
I mean, they seem to be measurable enough that, I mean, Evite has been keeping, like, statistics on it. Right, right. So you, you we actually see there are um, pre- formatted you know party invitations that you can you can send out for your guests to come celebrate your divorce man i does it make sense as as a family law attorney when you hear this um you know i think there are a lot of good reasons to celebrate the end of a broken marriage and the beginning of a new chapter right i think the one warning that i have is that first of all make it about your future not about how bad your ex was <laughs> Like that, that generally doesn't, doesn't go over well. Um, and the other thing is if you have kids, you just need to be really careful that you're not involving them, right? Not everybody is excited about the fact that you get to start over. Um, and, you know, that's, that's okay. Not everybody needs to be excited about it. But when you have children, you just do need to be really careful that you're, you're not involving them um, and making them uncomfortable or, I mean, it can be really damaging. So, and plus you, you know, you still have a co-parenting relationship so it's not going to be helpful if your father of your children comes by and sees you know like a, a, a like a, a axe throwing picture of him right. that's all chopped up so yeah just be careful mm -hmm. burning an effigy on the front lawn that type <laughs> exactly. stuff. stay away from that yeah we're speaking yeah. with jennifer hargrave family law attorney at hargravefamilylaw.com and we're talking about parties for divorces uh where are divorce rates these days I mean, I think they're from what I've seen just being reported, I think it, it still runs about 50% of marriages end in divorce. So I don't think we've seen any big change there. I know personally in, in our practice post COVID, we definitely saw a big uptick in divorces. I think COVID helped crystallize and clarify for a lot of people that they didn't want to be stuck together anymore. So wow. <laughs> uh, we, we did see an uptick there, but I think it's kind of settling out a little bit now and, you know, there are, there are good reasons why people decide to end a marriage. And, you know, a lot of times there's, there's a lot of angst and a lot of strife that went into making that decision. But, you know, once you make that decision, the truth is that for a lot of people, life can be really good after the end of a bad marriage. Okay. So if COVID crystallized a lot of this, are the reasons, though, still the same? We still fight about money and, and stuff like that? Is, are those the leading causes? Have the leading causes changed, I guess? Oh, no, no, no. I think, I think the leading cause of divorce is just that people really don't know how to be in relationships, right? It's difficult. You take two people with two very different sets of values, two different ideas. At the time when you were falling in love, maybe that those differences seemed romantic, but then you, you get into the marriage and we don't have a lot of good models for how to how to resolve conflict, right? We're expecting the other person to meet all of our needs in the marriage and we're expecting them to change to, you know, make us feel more comfortable about ourselves. And that can be a setup for a lot of resentment and anger and then, you know, toxic communication. So things, things fall, fall away. And it's sad because I think with good, you know, early intervention, there are a lot of things people can do to build a really healthy relationship, but that's just not modeled for us a lot. It's not necessarily, mm -hmm. even if your parents stayed married for over 50 years, you know, it may not have been the healthiest marriage where they were modeling good conflict resolution. They may have just barely been able to stand each other. So, um, you know, I'm all for really good marriages and whatever we can do to support that. But when the marriage needs to end, it needs to end. <laughs> Thanks, Jennifer. Jennifer Hargrave family law attorney in Dallas. Coming up next, dogs on the no-fly list. Pure opportunity. It's what Michigan is all about. 
the opportunity to do more. The opportunity for all businesses to reach their full potential. Visit michiganbusiness.org slash radio to discover all the ways the MEDC is helping Michigan thrive. Glad you could be with us. Pet owners find airlines are inconsistent in how they enforce taking pets in carry-on bags. And now some animals are being banned and the owners are puzzled. Here's this weekend's Nicole Murray. It is Nicole Murray and here to join me, a Wall Street Journal reporter, Jacob Passy, because one of your travel buddies could be on the no-fly list and they have four legs. Jacob, can you explain a little bit? Yeah, so in recent years, uh, a lot of folks will, will remember this, airlines have cracked down on folks flying with their pets. You know, a lot of the, the carriers banned emotional support animals and things like that and, and really limited, uh, you know, what animals are allowed in the cabin with you. Um, but now we're seeing one airline in particular become notorious among pet owners for being really stingy and really restrictive when it comes to uh, the pets that are allowed to fly. And that is United Airlines. How are they getting stingier? Is it by breed? Is it by size? So it, it, it comes down to the size of the animal. So, so pretty much every airline has the same requirements at this point um, that uh, unless it is a true service animal, um, the, the dog or cat or, or what have you, uh, some airlines allow other animals as well still. Uh, but the dog or cat needs to fit in a, a carrier that can fit under the seat in front of you, like your personal item, like a backpack. So, um, so a small carrier. And then generally speaking, the airlines require that the animal, animal be able to move freely in that carrier, meaning that they can stand up and turn around in that carrier without touching the sides. And that's where this question of a no-fly list comes into play. A lot of folks we spoke with and a lot of folks on online forums have said that United Airlines agents are particularly stingy when it comes to that requirement. So they will say that the animal is too big if they see it brushed up against the sides of its carrier. Um, and in some cases, the, the agents are going a step further taking photos of the dog or making wow. a note in the profile of the passenger saying that their dog is no longer allowed to fly. So I was reading your piece on the Wall Street Journal, and there was a few instances where people would fly successfully to their location with their pet, but then have a problem on return. So does that just mean that different flight attendants have different, I don't want to say rules to follow by, but I guess like level of strictness, if you will, or was there any other explanation? So United, you know, never really responded to me. They just, when I reached out to them, they just uh, directed me to their their policy as stated online. Um, and so, what it seems, what seems to be the case here is it is very subjective. Um, you know, uh, different agents um, will have different, you know, opinions on this issue. Uh, two agents at the same airport might do a dog differently. Um, you know, one, one woman I spoke with, uh, who has a corgi, you know, mentioned that her corgi is very fluffy, uh, has a lot of fur. And so she half wondered, you know, did, you know, that play a role here? Like if I had put a sweater on my corgi to make it look a little less, uh, a little less fluffy, you know, would they have not thought that it was too big? Things like that. But we're, we're seeing this with breeds that you normally think about being able to fly pretty easily. Like one woman I spoke to had issues with her Pomeranian, and you don't think of Pomeranians 
being large dogs. So, so it really does seem to be a very subjective policy, and there there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of uh, recourse for consumers when they run into these situations. Any suggestions for people who are going to be traveling with pets coming up? You know with their flight, get there earlier, call the airline, What's, what advice would you have? Yeah, so first of all, definitely get there earlier. You do not want to be cutting things close. Um, you know, either way, you generally with the airlines have to check in at the ticketing desk um, to, to make sure that you get approval to fly with your pet. Um, most airlines will limit the number of in-cabin pets that there can be on a given flight, which makes sense. Folks have, you know, allergies to dogs and cats and stuff like that, so you don't want tons of animals running loose on the on the plane. Um, so definitely check in early, um, and I would, I would venture to say even earlier than you think you need if you are flying with a pet on the extreme off chance that, there, that you do run into problems. That's this weekend's Nicole Murray with Wall Street Journal travel reporter Jacob Passy. Coming up next, debating the big tax refund. What does the future of mobility in Michigan sound like? It's the sound of new EV charging stations at our state parks. Discover all the ways MEDC is driving next-gen mobility in Michigan at michiganbusiness.org slash radio. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. Gordon Deal with Nicole Murray coming up this half hour. Can hydrogen-powered cars overtake EVs? Also, the debate about big tax refunds and the mocha versus latte spending problem. We'll have that story in about 15 minutes. Well, every tax season, millions of Americans eagerly await their refund check. It's often called the biggest payday of the year. But should it be? Here's Medora Lee, personal finance reporter at USA Today. Medora, what did you look at? So this is so interesting because I was talking to a, an accountant and I'm always like, you know, everybody always comes and they brag about how big their tax returns are every year. Even the IRS brags about it. We issued so many checks and this was, you know, the average check was this much um, money. And so I, ha- I had this debate with this accountant um, because I have a friend who says that he tries to um, minimize his refund every year so that he gets a little more in his check um, during the year. Um, And so I asked the accountant this and he said, you know, this is such an academic uh, debate. It's one of his favorite topics and accountants apparently debate this all the time. (laughs) He said that he used to be one of those people who says, who used to say, you should adjust your withholding during the year so your your refund is not so big because really when your refund is big, that's money that's rightfully belongs to you all year long, but you've let the IRS hold it for you and pay no interest on it. Um, And so, but he said that since he started working with, um, you know, middle class, everyday people, you know, blue collar workers and such, he realized that they really love that refund check. They love getting a big refund check. They know it's coming. They feel comfortable with it. They don't, and uh, they they plan wisely to spend it and they, or to either to pay down debt or save some of it, or maybe buy one new thing. Um, that they've been waiting for all year. And so he says in the end, they end up with more savings than if they just got that $5 a, a week more in their paycheck. It's almost the, really the psychology of it, right, of getting a, a check the size of one that you may not get all year. Exactly. So that was his argument, that it's not a bad thing. And so that people should stop poo-pooing it. And he said, you know, 
hardworking Americans, some of them really, you know, don't talk down to them and say they're not financially savvy. They could take that $5 and invest it in a 5%, uh, you know, CD or something. Yeah. He said those, those people really know how to make ends meet and they don't have time anyway to go and look at their withholding um, every few months because they might be working two or three jobs. We're speaking with Medora Lee, personal finance reporter at USA Today. Her story is called A Big Tax Refund can be a lifesaver, but is it better to withhold less and pay more later? Um, I almost think the government should reframe it at times, right? We've sent back uh, so many millions of of checks worth, uh, I don't know, X billions of dollars. Thank you, taxpayers, for the free loan all year long. You've saved us, uh, I don't know, so much money in in interest payments. Reframe it for us. Exactly. They act like they're doing us a favor. Right. I mean, this has been an argument, though, since what we started filing taxes, right? There's no there's no right or wrong, I guess. Right. I mean, you know, it's really up to the taxpayer to look at their W-4. You know, the IRS wants to file our taxes for us, but they also don't want to take responsibility of looking at our W-4 and adjusting it for us during the year. Thanks, Medora. Medora Lee, personal finance reporter at USA Today. Coming up next, hydrogen-powered cars. If you still have landline phone service, you may have noticed that your monthly bills have been skyrocketing. That's because the FCC no longer regulates copper lines and phone companies are jacking up the price of their service. UMA is an internet home phone service that lets you keep enjoying the safety and peace of mind of a home phone without paying an arm and a leg. In fact, with a one-time purchase of the UMA Tello, you get internet home phone service for free. All you pay are applicable taxes and fees. Unlike mobile phones, UMA has address-based 911, so dispatchers will know exactly where to find you in an emergency. In the event you call 911, UMA can send a text alert to loved ones. UMA even includes a free mobile app so you can take your home number on the go. And don't worry, you can keep your home phone number for a one-time fee or get a new one for free. Setup is easy. It takes less than 10 minutes. Stop paying too much for home phone service. Visit UMA.com slash Gordon Deal today to get a special discount. That's O-O-M-A dot com slash Gordon Deal. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. On paper, hydrogen is the better choice to power a car than a battery. This superiority stems from the fact that in most implementations, you get the attributes of an electric vehicle, which is an exceptionally reliable motor, and you don't get the worst part, which is the battery. But can hydrogen-powered vehicles catch on? Here's tech analyst Rob Enderley writing for technewsworld.com. Rob, start with the basics of hydrogen cars. For the most part, hydrogen uh, cars work like a, an electric car, but the hydrogen uh, replaces the battery. So, so you get a, a, um, uh, a hydrogen cell that, that uh, generates electricity, the electricity then powers the car forward. So the so the advantage to hydrogen, big advantage to hydrogen is is um, since it's delivered as a liquid, is the car fuels up, similar to how a uh, a gas car fuels up. It's it's delivered under pressure. The nozzles are a bit different, but the but the uh, but the experience is the same. You can fill up pretty fast. You get the benefits of electricity um, in terms of power performance and the and the um, the emissions the car puts out are pretty much water. Uh, the hydrogen's created cr- uh, by uh, separating the hydrogen and the oxygen molecules in water, and then when it, it combusts, it puts those molecules back together again, and, and um, the output is water. So it's it's very it's very clean. In fact, you could argue it's it's cleaner than a lot of electric cars 
given a lot of electric cars are powered by um, uh, oil-fired or coal-fired yeah. power plants. Can you, can so you that's get a the hydrogen, positive side. Can you get a hydrogen car? Yeah. Yeah, they're, 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 uh, Toyota's been making them for years, generally the, only in California. The, the, the problem with hydrogen, though, is we don't have an ecosystem. Uh, the, most of the hydrogen pumps are located at airports. Um, oh. you, the, um, California had something like 58 of them, but the company that, that, uh, that did it is shutting down 53 of them as unprofitable. And in the rest of the country, they're non-existent. So, the, so, so there's no ecosystem. And, and you can say, well, how about, could we create a you know, hydrogen generator at home and do we do like we do electric cars? Because most of us have electric cars, charge our cars at home in, in, the, um, in the garage. Well, the problem is that hydrogen generator, a home hydrogen generator costs around 10 grand. Oy, um, and so the, and that compares to a, you know, a, a level two charger for an electric car, which is you know, 350 bucks. A real expensive one might cost you as much as 500 bucks. But 500 bucks versus 10 grand, that's a huge delta. Yeah. Plus you're dealing with a, 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 um, um, a gas under pressure. So, you, so, you, so the management of that, that particular piece of equipment would also require you know, regular maintenance and, and make sure that your seals are good and, and, uh, and O-rings and the rest of it. So, there, so there's a lot of maintenance to it as well that you don't have an electric charger, which pretty much just lasts Unless you get it wet or something, it's pretty much yeah. pretty much lasts lasts indefinitely. So the so the, the issue with hydrogen is is we just don't have an ecosystem for it. Uh, that man, if we had thousands of generators, <clears throat> the cost per generator would come down. But how do you get there from here? Uh, my rough estimate to just try to cre create hydrogen parity with gasoline would be something in the nature of of three trillion dollars oh, in the U.S. and and that it, who's going to come up with that money? Yeah. <laughs> so the so I just don't think you can get here get get to where they want to go from here. We we don't have the ecosystem for it. Yep. Now there there was an effort to retrofit gasoline powered cars with with hydrogen, mostly in Europe, that that mucked around for a while, but but the the benefits didn't didn't um, exceed the cost. The costs were high. You lose efficiency and power in the engine. And of course, these engines, the gas car powered cars, engines were, were not designed for hydrogen. So you've got all kinds of issues with regard to wear uh, and then just managing the hydrogen in the automobile. Might, might remember What's, that the Hindenburg was full of hydrogen yeah. when it burst into flames. So it's, it's not a gas you want to muck with. What's the, uh, what's the range on a hydrogen powered car? It uh, depends on the size of the tank. The the, uh, the ranges are tend to be pretty good. The the in the 500 mile range, typically for a, for a hydro, depending on the car, it can be anywhere from 300 to 500 depending on the car. So you get decent range, but you need it because there are no gas stations. So that yeah, so the so that so you whatever you're doing with the car, you've got to figure out its round trip to wherever you're getting the hydrogen. And and as I said, even in California, you're mostly dealing with since they they're shutting down most of the hydrogen stations. You're still dealing mostly with airports. So if you live near an airport, you're in good shape. If you're not near an airport, not so much. Thanks, Rob. Rob Enderly, founder and principal analyst at The Enderly Group. Coming up next, how the latte problem is outdated math. This year, Dell Technologies wants to help you do amazing things with their best tech. For a limited time only, save on select next-gen PCs like the XPS 13 Plus, powered by Intel Core processors and more. Plus, curate your dream setup with great deals on select monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at dell.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge technology to match your forward-thinking spirit and free shipping on everything. Again, that's dell.com deals. Glad you could be with us. For years, coffee drinkers have been warned that a daily latte could wreak havoc on their long-term finances. It's the so-called latte factor. 
but maybe they should really be worried about that morning mocha instead. Here's Charles Passy at MarketWatch. Charles, explain. You know, mocha is the real financial culprit, I have to say. I mean, you know, the daily latte has been blamed for the downfall of society. I mean, it's been blamed for <laughs> ruining people's savings. There's this thing called the latte factor. And it really is, it's kind of a, a an interesting sort of personal finance kernel of truth in that if you have a daily latte as opposed to just having a cup of coffee at home, um, you're really wreaking havoc on your budget over time. So the latte gets blamed for everything, but guess what? The mocha, which is almost as popular as the latte, is more expensive. Um, so the average cost nationally for a latte is $4.95. Average cost for a mocha is $5.40. These, these figures come from a company called Square, which is a restaurant technology platform, and they've analyzed, they said literally billions of transactions. Oh, wow. so, so it's 45 cents more for a mocha, you know, I had some fun and I did the math. If you drank a daily mocha, that would add up to about $165 a year. Over a decade, that's $1,650. Um, so it's it's real money. Um, and it is kind of this interesting thing. I, I might also add, by the way, mocha has a lot more calories too. But anyhow, <laughs> um, but it's this interesting thing of looking at, at, you know, what we spend on and how we spend on it. But again, the mocha is really the one that's the culprit here and and why well you know it's it's you know at first i was like huh why is this drink more expensive and then you know a bunch of smart people told me something i hadn't thought about it it has one extra ingredient so you know lattes are and 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 cappuccinos and a variety of other beverages are espresso or strongly brewed coffee and milk mocha adds chocolate to the equation so in the form of a powder in the form of a syrup so you know so it's basically just a little more than a latte or whatever um here's a scary part cocoa prices are through the roof right now so you know there's a question of whether the mocha that's already more than your latte could be even higher in the future now i've gotten some mixed opinions on that because there's not a lot of chocolate that goes into a mocha but i talked to at least one coffee shop owner who's like i don't know what i'm going to do he's like i'm trying to hold the line here but my chocolate prices are going up so we could see that gap grow even greater wow somebody I think brought some perspective into your story and said, listen, you know, you can get away with these pricier coffee orders every day if you're not piling on like dinner out Friday and Saturday or, you know, food deliveries, things like that. Yeah. I mean, I spoke to a really smart financial advisor who, who offered this perspective. He's like, look, he said when he talks to clients, he's not advocating spending lots of money on coffee. And in fact, he told me he generally has his coffee at home, but he said, it's not the four or $5 drink that's probably, you know, wreaking havoc on your budget. It's the 50 to $100 takeout dinner, you know, that, and he says, and it's become so ubiquitous in this era of like, nobody cooks at home, everybody's ordering in, everybody's got DoorDash or Grubhub or whatever to get their food quickly. Um, and so he said, that's what he talks to clients about. Thanks, Charles. Charles Passy, reporter at MarketWatch. Coming up next, the college athlete working with the surgeon who gave him his life back. We'll finish with this. When Kevin Ease was 10 years old, he was diagnosed with a brain tumor and needed surgery right away. The southern New Jersey native told the Washington Post that on that day 14 years ago, he remembers having double vision and wondering if he'd be able to see normally again and keep playing baseball. He got the operation quickly, and it was a success. 
Ease was back to running bases and throwing fastballs one week later. He even went on to play at the University of Pennsylvania. After the successful surgery at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, Ease and his family stayed in touch with that surgeon. Today, Ease is back at the same hospital, this time as a clinical research assistant, working alongside the same doctor who made it possible for him to resume an active life. Ease, who was hired by the hospital last summer, talks to pediatric patients and their parents to ask for permission for the patient's tumor tissue to be studied at the hospital's research institute. That'll do it for this hour. For Nicole Murray, I'm Gordon Deal. Thanks for listening to This Weekend.